0: Well, welcome to Mosaic. If we haven't met before, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic. Uh, I specifically oversee our church that we have down at the Bay Skate Park on Sunday nights, and I'm privileged to, and honored to lead us in this conversation about love, sex, and relationships, and uh, in our series called "Climb the Palm Tree." Uh, it was anyone uncomfortable with that question? Uh, what do you love about yourself? Because when he asked it, there was just a very collective giggle. So, but it seems like uh, I, I actually could remember in my life. I remember the specific moment in history in time when my wife first became physically attracted to me. I, I can pinpoint the exact moment because we were friends for you know almost a year before we started dating, and so it was between our freshman and sophomore year of college. I visited before I left. We took a selfie together. You know, but it was on one of those wind-up cameras that you actually had to develop. Uh, And so she didn't develop the pictures. When we got to school sophomore year, we developed the pictures. And we got the pictures, and she was looking through them, and she goes, Oh, my gosh, your eyes are so blue in this picture. And I looked at the picture, and it was like one of those pictures where you're significantly more attractive than you are in real life. You know, everyone's Facebook profile picture, right? Right? And I was like, oh, man, that is a good picture. And my eyes looked really blue. And she kept looking at the picture. And we were walking. She was looking at the picture, looking at the picture. I was like, oh, yeah, jackpot. Got it. So uh, I've always loved that I'm Irish, have blue eyes. But it's a hard question. It's a hard question because whenever I feel like someone asks me, what's something you like about yourself? Or tell me about a success that you've had in your life. Where my brain goes is the opposite. I don't know about you, but I, I tend to think about the things that I don't like about myself. I, I tend to start to think about uh, my weaknesses. I'm a, I'm a really, like, weird, insecure person. Uh, I remember in high school, my senior year, I, I, I was voted MVP of my soccer, the high school soccer team, and I thought it was a joke. I was, like, waiting for everyone to laugh. Uh, and I was a pretty good soccer player, but I just, like, that's kind of where my brain goes. And I think... When someone asks me the question, what's something I love about myself, that list is really short. But if someone asks me the question, what's something that you don't like about yourself? Or even, what's something that you hate about yourself? Uh, That's an easy list for me to make. I don't know about you guys. And so what I want us to do is, I actually want us to kind of embrace that tension today. And you'll see why, you'll see where I'm going. Uh, I want you all to take out your phone. So everyone in here, you have to take out your phone. Uh... Take out your phone and I want you to compose a text message. Compose a text message to yourself. Uh, and I know this might be a little bit awkward or weird at first, uh, but I want you to begin to write down things that you don't like about yourself. I want you to compose a text message yourself and even begin to talk about things that you hate about yourself. Um, and I know that sometimes it feels like, wow, that's a little brutal. I don't know if I want to go there. I kind of want to sort of like not really think about those things right now. But I I feel like these things are vitally connected and it is really important for us uh, because I think we have a big problem, a big problem when it comes to love. Uh, Because the thing that keeps kind of rolling around my head is can I truly love someone else if I don't love myself? And then how do I love myself without falling in love with myself? And does God even want me to love myself? And so today, my message is called, Sexy on the Inside. Right? You know, we have a lot of baggage. We got a lot of junk when it comes to thinking about a healthy way that we could actually love ourselves. But man, I'm convinced in order for us to really fully embrace loving someone else in our life, we need to figure out how to actually love ourselves. And believe it or not, I believe that sometimes where it starts is making a list of the things that we don't like about ourselves. So throughout today, when something pops in your head, and I know it might be a little weird or awkward, send yourself that text message. Uh, Be sure that you compose it to yourself and not your best friend. Like, I don't like your hair, you're fat. That's going to be an awkward conversation, right? But I think when we think about this idea of loving yourself, kind of the things, if we're going to play devil's advocate, that sort of pop into our head is, really, do we need to talk about that? Because when I look at the world around me, it seems like people are a little obsessed with themselves. It seems like we live in a very narcissistic, self-obsessed, me, me, me culture. Do we really need to talk about loving ourselves? Uh, because we come across passages like Romans chapter seven, which sa- starting in verse eighteen it says, "For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is my sinful nature, and the word that they use for nature there in the original Greek was actually flesh. In my sinful flesh, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. See, so often we see that in communities of faith, right? You can't, you can't really win. Because there's nothing really good in me. So if you do something good, it's all God. It's all Jesus. But then if you fail, who was it? It's on you. So we find ourselves in these lose lose situations. And so I wonder if we truly want to embrace how do we love ourselves without falling in love with ourselves. Really, the, the tension is between self love and loving ourselves. So how do we embrace that tension? And what is self-love? Because when we read verses like Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. Because let's be honest, it feels like we live in a culture where we think very highly of ourselves. We think that we are pretty special, pretty awesome. Did you guys know that over 1 million selfies are posted to social media every single day? 1 million selfies. Uh, I got some really, really good ones. Uh, You guys over here might not see, so let me move this for you real quick. Because they're gold. Check out this girl, right? That's pretty special. Uh, I don't know if I've ever had that happen. This is the worst fireman ever. Right? Really? Uh, Best Photoshop job of all time? Let's be honest. Selfie at a funeral? Not so sure if that's a good idea. Uh, This one's awesome. You storm the field. I give her props. That's a good selfie right there. Right? You're getting tackled by grounds crew. This one's cool. So we all know that couple that get a little bit too intimate with their pictures that they post on social media, but I love their parents' response to this. Boom. Best parents ever, (laughs) right? (laughs) (sighs) Selfie while your wife is giving birth, okay? And this one's, I mean, I like this one. This one, I give these guys props. Selfie with a bald eagle, Okay, there's actually a video online where these guys. There was a bald eagle that was trapped. They set up a camera. They free the bald eagle. They go get their camera, snap a selfie, and let him go free. It's awesome. So I approve of that selfie right there. But man, I'm convinced. Like this idea with selfie culture, we become so obsessed with getting likes. And even it's easy to judge people who put selfies out there. But I would also argue, parents and grandparents, our selfies are our kids, right? So like me, I'll, I'll like take my time and take a perfect picture, and I'll maybe get two or three likes. The second my son Manny is in the frame, it gets like a thousand likes <laughs> right away. Um, but we are so obsessed with the idea of being liked, this idea of being liked. And I just wonder if our obsession with being liked has caused us to really unlike ourselves. You know, we live in a really narcissistic world, and I just wonder, you know, a lot of times we think so highly of ourselves. So many of us, we think so highly. And I, I would say that so often we find ourselves in this place of self-worship. Where we just fall in love with ourselves. But I would also say that with self-love, it's the, for those of us who think so highly of ourselves, the tension that I keep thinking in my mind is, Am I worshiping myself when I'm thinking too lowly of myself? When I'm, when I'm constantly thinking, what is wrong with me? Why do I stink at this? Why am I terrible at that? Why, why do I do these things? Because when you think about it, everything is focused on you. And man, when we make really, really bad gods... We do not make a good God in any way, shape, or form. We are always going to let ourselves down. And I would argue that we cannot fully, passionately love someone else if we don't figure out a way that we can truly love ourselves without falling in love with ourselves. And I would also say that for most of us, when we, if you wrote on anything on your phone or sent yourself any text message whatsoever, I'm guessing most things probably have something to do with your body. You know, for me, I hate my receding hairline. I hate my gray hair. Uh, I always have—I have this little tuft in the front of my hair, and it always falls over, and I hate it so much because my hair is receding back. I hate that I struggle with infertility. I hate sometimes feeling like I'm a terrible leader. And so for me, it's like there's this intimate connection between thinking too little of ourself and our, and our body, right? So often, our body is our source of shame, source of shame. So I'm just convinced whether we're here today, and you resonate a lot more with Thinking really highly of yourself, and you're like, man, I kind of struggle with that. I kind of struggle with thinking that I'm I'm kind of the best, kind of what it is, kind of I'm I'm where it's at, or thinking too little of yourself. Uh, I just wonder if this is a place where we find ourselves more worshiping ourselves. And so, how do we learn to love ourselves? How do we learn to truly take this journey? And to love ourselves. And so we're in this book called Song of Solomon. And so if you have a copy of the scripture, I'd love for you guys to open up to where we left off last week. So last week we got through two verses of Song of Solomon. So we're going to pick up where we left off. Hopefully we get through more than two verses today. Um, But Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3, if you have a copy of the scriptures with you. And if you weren't here last week, uh, like I said earlier, this is a poem between two young lovers. And it's, it's found right in the middle of this collection of books that we call the Bible. And uh, it's, the purpose of this book is really to invite God into romance and passion and love. And what does he have to say about human romance and passion and love? So I want to kick off at verse 3. I love what it says. It says, Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. And so this is the woman speaking to Solomon. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfume." Uh, last week I talked a little bit how uh, our nose is so connected to the people that we're attracted to. Um, because there's this thing where you are actually attracted, you can, you can smell someone else's immune system. I know that's kind of weird to think. Uh, but there's part of their DNA that you can smell. And if, it's, if, if yours, it's called MHC, and if it's very different from each other, you tend to be more attracted to that person. And so attraction is very connected to our nose. Uh, I hate the smell of spearmint. Spearmint is the worst invention on the planet. It just needs to go away forever. It's not an invention. It's a plant. I don't know. What would you say? Crazy. I'm crazy? No, I'm not. Spearmint is the worst. So Nicole, she bought this chapstick that smelled like spearmint gum and I remember she came home from work because whenever she would choose spearmint gum, I always say, no, no spearmint, any other type of mint, just no spearmint, please. Uh, and usually she's very accommodating, she's very loving, so she says, okay. So then she buys this chapstick, and she comes home, and I go in to kiss her. And I was like, whoa, 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 what is that? That smells like spearmint. And she bought spearmint chapstick. I was so mad. But I was like, babe, I'm telling you, please, 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 please. Just throw the spearmint chapstick away. And she did. She's an amazing, awesome wife. Uh, She threw it away. Because believe it or not, attraction is connected to our sense of smell. Attraction is intensified by our sense of smell. And so I think if anything we can learn from this in relationships is, men, let your women buy your cologne, your soap, your deodorant. Seriously, men, man up. Buy your women perfume and deodorant and soap that you enjoy the smell of. And if you don't like the smell of something, just change it. I know that's really small. I know that seems kind of insignificant. I know we're in church. But uh, so much of that sense of attraction is connected to smell, believe it or not. Sorry, tangent. Next line says, your name is like perfume poured out. Your name is like perfume poured out. Man, women, if you ever want to give a man the best compliment you can, is talk about his character. Talk about who they are. Say, your name, your name, you're an awesome man. Uh, Anyone ever do the five love languages? A few of us. If you haven't done it, please look into the five love languages, but mine is words of affirmation. When I get that words of affirmation, I just feel like I'm on top of the world. Um, But I think for a lot of us guys, I would say when we have people who are able to compliment who we really are, not to lie or to exaggerate, but to say who we really are. Because let's even be honest, like Solomon, he's king, right? He's king, and being a king is probably not a low-stress job, I'm guessing. And I'm guessing you struggle a little bit with identity, you struggle a little bit with thinking, am I doing the right thing all the time? But she's like, Solomon, you are king. Solomon, the people love you. Even the next verse says, uh, she says, no wonder the young women love you. Solomon, the people love you. You're doing a great job. And so often, sometimes, that's what we need. And so I wonder if this journey from moving from loving ourselves and self-worship towards truly, authentically knowing who we are and loving ourselves, I wonder if the thing that has caused us to be on this side is we, we haven't really gotten the affirmation that we've needed. And I wonder if we struggle with connection. We don't have that authentic, true connection from someone else. Because I'm convinced this journey of actually learning to love ourselves is not an isolated journey. It's not one that you have to, fi- that you have to do on your own and purely on your own. I'm, I'm convinced that it has everything to do with the people that we are connected to. And the people who are affirming those things in our life. Uh, I love what Solomon says to her uh, in chapter 7, verse 4. Solomon says, Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. That's probably not the best compliment to give a lady, right? (laughs) Your nose is like a tower. It almost seems like a stretch, like Solomon's trying to figure something out, and he's like, "Uh, Your head is like a hot air balloon. I mean, it's big. I mean, it's full of hot air. That's not what I mean. Your nose is like a tower, is like the tower of Lebanon. See, the interesting thing is Damascus at this period in time was not friendly towards Israel, right? And so your nose, it can discern when something smells good and when something smells bad. And so what he's saying really is your nose, it's intelligent, but also a tower in the midst of a landscape, it's elevated, it's pronounced, you can see it from far away. You know, she probably had a big nose, right? But the thing that I love about it is Solomon loves it. So we find in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. See, the thing about affirmation, it's not getting people to lie to you. It's getting people to tell the truth and they love you so deeply for it. Uh, there was that actress who was in Dirty Dancing who had a really big nose. I can't remember her name, but uh, she got a nose job and she couldn't get work after that because no one recognized her. It's Like, no, you're not the girl from Dirty Dancing. She had a big nose. Uh, her, her one of, the thing that she saw as a weakness was actually a strength. Um, and I wonder if sometimes we see those things in our life, those things even we wrote down on our phones, I wonder if we perceive them as weaknesses where others would say those are the things that they love about you. And I love what ends up happening because this affirmation, what it does for her is it leads to courage. Because if we jump back to chapter 1 and we kind of continue where we left off in verse 4, she begins to talk about herself. And she says, how right they are to adore you, talking back to Solomon. And then she says, dark am I, yet lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Qadar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I had to neglect. Dark am I, yet lovely, sun-soaked. So she had calloused hands from having to tend the vineyards. Right? And I love how she can't even say my brothers, right? my mother's sons. Maybe they were half-brothers, I don't know. But they made me take care of the vineyard. See, this is a source of pain for her. But she's not using it as a source of pain. She's using it to say, this is who I am. It's caused me to become really, really dark-skinned, but I'm lovely. I wonder what those things are in you, in your, in your life that you wrote down that are lovely. See, it's not about trying to convince you of something you are not, right? This, this idea of affirmation. It's about having the courage to tell who you really are. Um, What's interesting about the word courage is it initially came from the word cur. Uh, And the initial definition of courage was actually to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. Uh, I actually got that quote from uh, Brene Brown. Has anyone ever heard of Brene Brown? Uh, She did a TED Talk that kind of has been blowing me away. Uh, And this is where I'll do another tangent. I think there's some amazing, phenomenal female communicators in the world today. And I think so often the church has actually pushed down female communicators and female teachers, female leaders. Uh, We are not a church that wants to do that. I would love to see female communicators rise out of this community right here who are really influencing the world and writing amazing literature. Uh, But if you haven't seen Brene Brown's TED Talk, Please, that's your homework. you got to watch Brene Brown's TED Talk. But she begins to talk about this idea of connection, right? That we all need this connection, and how do we we become more connected to people? And she came across a really interesting conclusion about it, right? Because we all have this idea that we want to be connected, and we don't want to feel shame, right? Uh, This idea that I'm not good enough. This idea that I'm not successful enough. I'm not promoted enough. Um, and then what she found was the thing, the, the, the only people who don't experience pain and shame, the only people who don't experience that are people who have no empathy. People have no connection with other humans. So if you have empathy and you have connection with other humans, you're going to feel shame. And the only way for us to truly begin this journey of getting more connected to people was... Excruciating vulnerability. Excruciatingly, excruciating vulnerability. Uh, And what she talks about is that we cannot selectively numb emotions. So, so often whenever we feel pain in our life, whenever we feel those things that we wrote down like that we don't like about ourselves, that we don't love about ourselves, see when we numb those things, We can't selectively numb our emotions. So we can't say, oh, I'm going to numb that emotion, but I'm not going to numb this emotion. Like, we can't do that. When we numb, when we begin to numb these things, we numb everything. So when we begin to numb our shame, when we begin to numb all these things in our life, uh, we actually numb love. We numb empathy. And the only way for us to get out of that cycle is to be vulnerable. And to be vulnerable and let people see you for who you really are. Let people see you, who your true self is. To have the courage to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. Richard Rohr, he says, this quote kind of blew me away today. Uh, If we truly love someone, we will give them the power to change us. If we truly love someone, we're going to give them the power to change us. And he argues that if we don't give someone the power to change us, we don't truly love them. Which is almost kind of tough to swallow. Because especially when you're in a relationship with someone, I know for me, like you get in these arguments and what's the one thing you tend to say all the time? You're trying to change me. Stop trying to change me. But if we're, true, if we're really going to step into this and say, if I really love someone, I'm going to be vulnerable enough to let that person change who I am. When I lived in Scotland, uh, I remember the first time I ever gave a message in front of a church, and it was terrible, like really bad. I, I filmed it for my mom uh, just so I could send it back so she could watch it, and I started watching and I had to turn it off after two minutes because within the first two minutes, I said the phrase, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, 57 times <laughs> And the first two minutes. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And I remember after the service was over, this little old lady came up to me. I'm sure she didn't hear a word of the message. Uh, her hearing aid was squealing in her ear. But she came up and she said, that was a wonderful sermon. And I said... It's all him, all him. My friend Phil was standing right behind her, and he said, "He said if that was all God, I would have expected much better." <laughs> right? But he was so right, you know, like because what he saw, what he. S- oh gosh, I was really. I thought they put something up on the screen. Oh man, you you guys are the worst. Uh, he was right. And in that moment, I was just struggling with false humility. And he saw these things in me. And we were friends and he cared enough about me to tell a joke, but he didn't leave it at a joke. He knew we were friends. And we began this journey and we had so many amazing conversations. And he became a friend, he became a mentor. To me, He became someone that I was allowed to be vulnerable with. And so really, my question that I have for you today is, who's your fill? Who's the fill in your life? Who's that person that you're saying, I want to be vulnerable with you, and I give you permission, whenever I start thinking too low of myself, whenever I start thinking too high of myself, you could call me out on that. You can call me out on that. I love you enough that I'm going to allow you to speak into my life so that, we, so that you can be a part of changing me for the better. And I'll say this, if you're here today and you're married and that person is not your husband or not your wife, you guys have some tough conversations that you need to have. Because that person, you in a relationship, part of it is having your heart out in the other person's hands and you're vulnerable enough to say, I want you to change me. And if both people are not on the same page about that, and if one person is and the other person isn't, all that becomes is manipulation. And so it's vital that both people are on the same page, because you both love each other enough to call each other out, so that we can truly embrace uh, what love is. So how do we know, what's sort of our litmus test to find out when we're falling in love with ourselves? How, how do we begin, to, how do we begin to, to see that in our own life? How is that expressed Uh, Brene Brown, when she talks about the power of vulnerability, she says, we know we're not vulnerable uh, with three things. One, we're easily offended. We all know those people, right? The person, if you try to bring anything up to them, they get really defensive, really angry right away. They're always right. You're always wrong. Or the person that you have to walk on eggshells around. The person where if you even allude to something, You know, even something as little as the dinner they made just wasn't that good. If you even allude to it, their feelings are crushed and hurt and they're broken uh, and they don't talk to you for a month because of it. Another thing is the uncertain is certain. So there's no uncertainty. Man, we find this in the church all the time. Do Do we know anyone like that? Do we, do we know that person that knows everything there is to know about God? And if you try to have any conversation with them, they think you're dumb, they think you're stupid, they think you're a heretic. See, the, this journey that we're on is a journey of faith. It's a journey of mystery. It's a journey of uncertainty. St. Augustine says, if you can comprehend it, it isn't God. Uh, the third thing is, we perfect everything. We perfect everything. Uh, I, I read this thing about selfies uh, in the UK. I'm sure American women are not like this. But it said on average, the woman 16 to 25 years old in the UK will, take, uh, will post three selfies per day. Three selfies per day. And each one of those selfies takes about 15 minutes to take. Uh, so they spend about 45 minutes a day taking and posting selfies, which eventually adds up to about five hours per week spending your time Taking selfies, posting selfies. Because you gotta find the perfect one, right? You gotta find the one that's gonna make your ex jealous. You gotta find the one that's gonna make everyone think that you're prettier than everyone else. But we see this in our life. We perfect everything. When we begin to think everything needs to be perfect, we see that represented in the, in, the, in the overbearing, competitive dads who make their kids just strive after strive after strive to be better and better and better. We see that with helicopter moms. We see that represented in our own life where we become addicted to success. We become addicted to all these things so that we can live this perfect life. When we numb vulnerability... These things become so present in our life. And when we begin to see those things represented in our life, we need to ask ourselves the question, are we really embracing love or are we just falling in love with ourselves? Um, there's this verse in the Bible that really kind of stuck out to me a little bit differently this week than it usually does. Um, I want to read it for us. It's found in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Verse 25. So this is, this is a conversation that Jesus is having with someone right before he tells the story of the Good Samaritan, a story that many of us know. And it goes like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? Right? Verse 27, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that began to speak to me this week because can I truly love my neighbor? Can I truly love my wife? Can I truly love my family if I can't even love myself in a healthy way? In a vulnerable way. And Jesus actually gives us a model for how we can love ourself, and it's an absolute backwards model. It's to die to self. He says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and he was saying to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, when we begin to die to self, right, all we're left with then is love when we die to self. See, dying to self, it's not about rejecting who you are. It's about having the courage to say who you really are. It's about having the courage to own this junk. It's about having the courage to take out your phone and say, I got some junk, but I kind of need to own it. And then when we begin to look at some of these things that we describe as things that we hate, we realize that there's so much more depth to it. So for me, like as I reflected on this week, I began to think, man, I love my receding hairline because it's what my uncles have. I look at my mom's brothers and my grandfather and they all the exact same hairline. It reminds me of who I am and where I came from. I love my gray hair because it means that I care a lot. I love a lot. I get stressed out a lot. And I care so much. Uh, you know, I love that my wife and I had to go through this journey of infertility because the end of that road is our son Manny that we adopted. It's this road that we're on to start a foster care journey together and see kids in this city uh, have a family who don't have a home. And I I just begin to realize that so many of the things that I begin to demean about myself, that I think low about myself, are actually gifts. They're actually gifts. And when I die to myself, I begin to realize that. And so as I look around the room, I'm convinced There's people in this room today, those of you who are in this room today, you're struggling to know just how loved you are because you hate yourself. There's those of you in this room that are struggling to know just how loved you are because you worship the ground that you walk on. And there's those of you in the room today that you're struggling to know just how loved you are because you don't have the self-awareness to know that this message is about you. So today, I'm convinced God wants to transform our life. Today, he wants us to say to Jesus, Jesus, I give you permission to change me. I'm going to be vulnerable enough to open my soul to you, God, to open up my spirit, to open up my mind, to open up everything and to say, Jesus, I give you permission to change me. How many of us have said those words? How many of us have said those words in the past, but we haven't been living that way? And so today, what I want us to do is say those words As a prayer together, Jesus, I want you to change me. Let's pray together. God, I can't believe, if I'm honest, that you love us, that you love me. Any time I find myself in a place of self-reflecting, I tend to see all the junk. I tend to see all the bad. I tend to see all those things that I struggle with. And God, I'm convinced that there's so many people in this room today that have so much stuff that they hate about themselves. And God, I pray that this week, I pray that today, I pray that right now, you will step into their mind, you will step into their heart, and you will begin to show them that that's who they are, and that without those things they wouldn't be who they are sitting here right now. And so here and how in this moment, in the quiet, in your heart, let us echo the words together: Jesus, I give you permission. vulnerable enough to say, God, come into my heart, come into my life, because I really don't love myself. And God, I want to love myself in a way that is expressed by my love that I send out. So God, I pray that you will pour into us love. I pray that you will pour into us this idea so that we can have the courage to know exactly who we are with our whole heart. God, fill us to overflowing with your love. Help us to know how much we can love ourselves so that we can go and love our family. We can love our friends. We can love our husbands. We can love our wives. And we can love the strangers who are connected to us every single day. God, teach us how to love. Psalm 139 says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem in me, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. The night will not shine. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light t- to you. For you created me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know, they f- I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in this secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive way in me and lead me in the path of everlasting life. God, that is our prayer today. Thank you that you love us that much. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.